Welcome to Delivered as Promise, a podcast focused on land development industry and leadership. G'day, Graham. How are you going? Oh, look, I'm well, Mike. We've got a different view today. I'll try and describe it. If I look out the window, it's pretty high. It's, it's east of Seven Hills? East of Seven Hills, west of Sydney, west, west of the CBD, coming to you from um, Parramatta. And we're uh, based in Landcom's um, boardroom today. And we've got a special guest, Mr. John Brogdon. G'day. G'day. Are you well? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah. That's good. I'm glad you could How join are you? us. Yeah, look, we're really well. Yep. We'll, we'll cover off some detail with John in his dual roles with um, Lifeline yes. and with Landcom. And we'll discuss those in more detail. So you told me I could talk in the microphone. Uh, I yeah. think I remember that. Well, you can do whatever you want, John. Um, <laughs> we do want to talk about Eds because I think we, we've had together all the team, a really unique opportunity mm. there to, mm. to turn uh, a community that needed a hand and you guys took on the, the challenge that was you know, ahead of government to, to really create some better social outcomes. Mm. Oh, we're changing lives out there. It's, Absolutely. Um, it's, it's more than just earth and, and buildings and, and, you know, we literally are changing lives and turning the social issues around a bit and hopefully making the people a place where people want to live. Oh, look, I think so. I think that, you know, it's it's a much more um, desirable outcome now yeah. for families and people around and the community, and it's really starting to grow. Uh, the, the challenge in terms of construction haven't really disappeared yet. There's still, yes. you know, the remediation issues and the clashes with the old existing services that yeah. weren't, when they were first built, weren't, uh, recorded well enough, yeah. we find them, we move them, that sort of thing. But yeah. it's, it's going to—I mean, it's going to be a transformation, be so different to what it looked like all those years ago. But it is funny. I mean, you talk about not being able to track down services. I mean, that that joint was only built in the '60s, mm. which I know is 60 years ago these days. But you know, you would have thought we, that people would have had their act together back then to mark things down properly. But uh, I think they used to take the line of least resistance, John, and put yeah, it in right. where it sort of fitted. And if there was a rock, you go around it, go around a pole, you dodge over it. My, my understanding that area was rolled out Gough Whitlam era? I think earlier. earlier. I think, yeah, 60s into 70s. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, social housing areas yes. at that time yeah, yeah. where there wasn't the need for those uh, the relevant specs and standards and stuff like that. They well, were, the whole theory. A lot of private services and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, the whole theory that sort of made sense, which is we've got a lot of people who need housing. Yeah. Graham will remember this. I'm not saying you're an old bastard, but yeah. uh, but back then, Housing Commission was for low income workers, mm. right? And you had a lot of those people looking for work. They couldn't afford private rent. They couldn't afford a private house. And there was such a demand, you move quickly and you sort of oh, thought, yeah. well, yep. I mean, it's I the right thing to do. Well, this will do. You know, yeah, and, we and need to get housing in. This yeah. isn't perfect, but it's close enough. And these people don't have another choice. Yep. Mike, I've made reference before, like, you know, our business uh, got rolling in 64 mm. and part of it was on the back of all this, yeah. the Housing Commission housing opportunities commission. Yeah. and people were in a hurry. Yeah, mm. Things were done quick. Mm. Things were done flexibly. Designs were changed, you know, yeah. overnight on yeah, you know, um, Wald used to tell us stories about that sort of thing of mm. meeting guys and saying, "Look, we can get a better yield. Let's change this, do that," yeah. and they'd do it over a couple of nights and just mm. get into it. So, yeah, for things being out of place now by the precision we expect now, yeah, so what? Yeah. That, that's just how things had to be done, yeah. well, and the production was very high for those times. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? I, you probably find this in a lot of the work you're doing, which is the um, the easy stuff's long gone in Sydney. You know, the the easy. Mm. uncontaminated land that mm. went years ago so every site you're looking at is constrained um and costly usually and got you know enormous amounts of contamination on mm. site whether it and it's of course it's either fibrous and across the site or dumped in a few places it's um it's actually changed the way we're looking at 
um, decontamination because it's such a nasty surprise oh, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. And people should, you know, we're not going to put people in, in harm's way, but there are different ways of dealing with it. But the thing I'm finding now with most sites we're looking at, there's contamination's a massive issue. You know, it's an old chook farm in yep. Schofields. Well, yep. God only knows <laughs> what happened there 50 years ago. Mm. And yeah, on and on, heaps you, of it just you guys said all the time, but mm. it's costly. Yeah, well, there's, there's a rumour that uh, in the, about in the 60s in Austral, Every farmer had a competition to see who could bury the most yeah. in the backyard. Yeah, and, it, and that's what's around there all the time. You know, yeah. and and that's just filling the old dam in the backyard yeah. with with the waste from the farm yeah. and this sort of thing. So and people are up against the, that now. Like at Riverston, um, there were no fences for most of its life, so it was an open dump. Yep. You know, effectively an open dump. Um, but what a different world it is now. So it is one of the um, things that uh, you know. If you had to tell me all the top five things that that you know. Give me the ear, it's that'd be one of them because it just completely changes the economics of a project yeah, and sometimes makes them uneconomic. So yep. you end up having you've worked out it's contaminated, you've done all that hard work, you can't, it doesn't make sense to build property on it or to release the land because the cost of decontaminating is so high. So you've got cyclone fenced land that's been there for 100 years and could well be for another 50 yep. years yep. because yep. we've got to wait for it to either new science on decontamination or. The economics make it work after a while, but uh, it, they're very hard. You know, you you can't, um, you know, if you turn a block of land around and it's got two hundred thousand dollars worth of contamination on it, that you can't sell that and make a quid. Sounds like Landcom's next job is going to be a bit harder than the last couple, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep you posted. But, uh, but look, certainly they're, they're real issues that you guys deal with responsibly. Mm. You work relocation work that's been done. The, 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 the biggest tick for me is is nobody hurt. I haven't yeah. heard anything yeah. like this so yeah. far. It's been safe. Um, and we know, report our, to our, our board, mm. not just our injuries, but your injuries, so mm. our contractors' injuries. Sure. So, yeah, there's, you know, whilst there's an argument that it's your legal responsibility, you know, we're part of it, right, effectively. Yep. And if if not, we're part of the reputation. So we get your reports that come right up to our board. Mm. Now, I know you're meant to be asking me questions, but can I ask you a question yes. which is really important to our understanding of the economy which flows onto our people going to buy blocks of land and build houses on them? So March, April was who the hell knows what's going to happen. You know, without being partisan, the government moved heaven and earth to keep construction and exactly and the you know the guys in the fluoro guys and girls in the fluoro vest going big time. But did you expect the year to pan out the way it did, or were you? I mean, you must have been preparing for the worst, hoping for the best. I guess you guessed it absolutely. Look, with, without all the details, but yeah. at one stage we went into absolute crisis mode mm. when things were first around. Yeah. And we um, look very carefully at downside of things, yes. if and when. And, um, and we'd plan that. We'll, you know, we drafted a plan. What happens if we're shut for four months? Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. No, yeah. No, What's it mean to the no business? What's it mean to our people? For four months. You know, yeah. and, what does it look and, like? And how we could best look after them? Yeah, of course. And uh, you know that, that would have been scary. It looked very grim. Ooh, yeah. yeah. We didn't want to look there. No. And and then when we first heard essential industry. We just drum that in everyone's yeah. head every day. And and one of the things, and some of the guys remember, we said, look, the worst thing you could be do could do is to be gathered around the back of the ute at the end of the day having a beer yeah. and having that photo on the front page of the Daily Telegraph. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Then people like John Progden would be shooting me <laughs> and all our customers saying, you know, what are you doing? Because it would put the industry at risk. Yeah. So well, it's uh, funny. Yes, guys acted responsibly throughout about the Yesterday I dug out a little bit of history. I found a letter and I'd forgotten about it. But it was when an essential... Uh, industry was determined 
and we wrote to everyone and gave them a piece of letter verifying they were an employee oh, of us. The team does an essential service at that time, signed by Graham and I as director. Yeah, yeah, so if you, stop, right. so if you stop by the police on the side of the road, yeah, exactly. produce that. And we thought it was a, a safer yeah. bet than letting it, some of our guys have an yeah. argument with the cops. Well, if we were trying to work out how we go from Landcom to Lifeline, this is the mm, perfect time you. because Lifeline, we did the same. Yeah. So when when it hit the fan and you know we thought, oh, my God, what's going to happen? How can we get – most of our volunteers go to centres, local centres to work, um, and that's been the model forever. And there's been some psychological safety issues to help our staff be together rather than be by themselves. But put that aside. So we had to keep people going. We, we were sort of uh, hoping for this, planning for the worst. So we got – I rang around the country, rang the Federal Health Minister, Greg Hunt, and said, I need your support to make sure that all of our volunteers are essential workers. Like almost, We're almost like triple O in that sense. We had no problems. We got mm. we got the confirmation straight away, and um, at the same time, you know, planning for the worst, we also got uh, fifteen hundred of our three thousand phone volunteers around the country trained to work from home in case it got worse, mm. and we all got you know the whole joint lockdown because mm. that's you remember back in March April we were expecting tens of thousands of deaths and millions of infections exactly and and. That changed pretty quickly, but you had to plan for the worse and worse, should I say. So, yes, we too were uh, getting our people out mm -hmm. as essential essential workers effectively. Mm. Yeah, and, and you know, we're lucky our team have behaved sensibly throughout the right way and they've taken it seriously. We, we actually brought in, um, for the one and a half metre spacing, we brought in a WEM safety rule of two metres so that you know, gave it a bit more clarity on what yep. was really required. And Mike, we've had just total support of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've had no. Got to give you guys a reminder, you know, yeah, now, hey, come on out of the shed, there's too many in here, yeah. clear out and sit under the tree and have your lunch and that sort of thing. Yeah. But uh, the support's been great. Yeah, oh, which fantastic. Is good. Well done. But many, many of our, our families are affected by this whole thing yeah. so far. Uh, you know, people with us have been working largely normally in terms of a working environment. Talking around their people largely normally, but whether it's their wives, daughters, neighbours, nephews, uncles, kids. so many kids, so many people are affected by mm. either not working or two days mm. or wherever they went to the hairdressers, that shut or all those isolation issues. And, well, well, we've seen know, this at Lifeline. So it's a struggle. When the government said um, social isolation, what they really meant was physical isolation. But when I heard that phrase, I heard enforced loneliness because for many people you were saying, particularly, let's not go, let's not forget the beginning where it was, we were locked down. Remember, first thing was six months. We we're going to be locked down for six months, and for many people that was enforced loneliness. And um, you know, there, there is a pandemic of loneliness in Australia. There really is. Mm. Um, we don't always see it because it can be quite hidden. That's the very nature of it in many senses. Uh, we've always, in the 57 years Lifeline's been around, we've had people call us who've been lonely and often we're the only voice they hear all day next to the radio or the television. So we've already had that. So we saw an increase in that. And I sort of say there are, there are two things I think humans really need and that is human interaction and certainty. Well, they're the two things we haven't been able to give them for so much of this year and particularly for older Australians who mm. often live alone Um who had, you know, for a long time weren't able to leave the house and were worried about it and masks and all those sort of all those issues. And of course, we saw the vast majority of people who died from COVID in Australia were elderly Australians. They're more susceptible to it for obvious reasons. But we saw our calls go up. Um, they started going up during the bushfire. Mm -hmm. uh, so this that's only twelve months ago now in December, and then they kicked up again with COVID. So how did we, they relate in terms of some stats? So mm -hmm. um, we this time last year. Mm -hmm. 
just before the fires kicked off, we were doing an average of 2,500 calls a day. The new normal for us is 3,000 calls a day, and I don't see that dropping anytime soon. I'll tell you the most fascinating statistic because we've all been so focused on COVID. We, uh, and you guys supported us through this as you sort of great supporters of Lifeline, we established a standalone bushfire line called 13HELP, believe it. Our, our usual number is 13, 11, 14. Mm-hmm. Available, Graham and Mike, to all your people, mm-hmm. 24 hours a day, 13, 11, 14. But we, somebody really cleverly and in the bottom drawer had bought 13HELP at some stage. So we spun that out straight away as the bushfire line to send the message to people that we're always here on 13, 11, 14, but if it's a bushfire-specific issue, we'll train you up to handle that, uh, people to handle that directly. Mm. I'm telling you this because 12 months later, we are still getting every day between two and 300 calls about bushfires. So we're thinking about COVID, and that just demonstrates that people have crises in different ways at different mm. times. So some people toughed it through that worst of it and, and then six months in realised, you know, uh, uh, husband, wife, whatever died, it'll never be the same or I'm still living in a, a tent yep. or I'm still living in a container waiting yep. for my house to be built and or, my insurance or, wasn't enough or, and all that sort of stuff. Or insurance isn't going to cover their property correct, at all. Correct. They're, they're left with nothing. Yeah, or, mm. you know, the job I had just doesn't exist anymore. So people, the trauma is extraordinary. So we confidently, sadly, but confidently predict that we'll be doing this bushfire line for another two years, well into 21, and uh, all of 21 and well into 22 because it just takes so long and the scarring is so mm. significant. So we're preparing for a bit of an uptick in those calls with the anniversaries because the media organisations, of course, will be running the TV shows that yep. say, oh, this time 12 months ago yeah. and all of that stuff. And, yeah, look, the the in some cases the, the blacks turn to green and things mm. are growing back, but... I like to say that um, there'll hopefully be a um, uh, an antidote for um, a vaccine for COVID real soon, but there's no vaccine on its way for mental health anytime no. soon. So uh, the good news of all of this is our, our calls have been as high as 3,300 a day, so that's a 30% increase. So good news is our volunteers have been exceptional. We just said we need more time out of mm. you, and they understood, so they stepped up. So our call answer rate used to be 85% of 2,500. We got to as high as 95% of 3,000 plus. So people stepped in and st- stepped up and stepped in. Yep. So that was so impressive. I'm so proud of the, the joint. People mm. have done so well. And the other piece of good news, and we should celebrate this, is that whilst our services have gone through the roof and hospital mental health services have been under pressure and it's hard to find a private psychologist, psychiatrist or counsellor anywhere in the country, because they're also booked up and a lot of new people coming through. In Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria, the coroners have released their 12 monthly figures mm. um, during COVID and we haven't seen an increase in suicides. Now, that means the three biggest states, which I reckon is a proxy for the rest of the country, we haven't seen an increase in suicides. So what I, I'm hoping and and I think I, I hope I'm right is that people have stepped up and asked for help. They're not embarrassed about asking for help. Uh, they've not embarrassed about sitting in a doctor's or a psychologist's waiting room anymore, not embarrassed about calling Lifeline, and they've got the help mm. they've needed and that's stopped them from taking their own life. Uh, so that's a that's a fantastic story. So we haven't had a COVID increase on suicides. A lot of people in the media want to write that because it's a sexy story, but it's not true. Mm. And it's important mm. that it's not true because it's good news, right? Yeah. It's actually good news on yeah. so many fronts. Well, considering how this year has panned out, yeah. To see it stay level is fantastic. It's extraordinary, yeah. just extraordinary. The other thing is um, 
the only flip side of that coin is that the, the two biggest things during COVID we saw at Lifeline was you'll remember, as I said before, it was going to be hundreds of thousands of deaths and millions mm -hmm. of infections. By Easter, we worked out that wasn't going to happen. We basically had it under control. And, you know, every death through COVID has been very sad, but in relative terms, we've done extraordinarily well, incredibly well, um, particularly compared to other countries. Um, when people worked out I wasn't going to get infected and nor was Dad and we're pretty safe, you could feel the temperature drop. Our calls didn't drop, but the temperature dropped. And the other thing, and I credit the government and the opposition federally because it's been very bipartisan, is JobKeeper. JobKeeper has been a lifesaver. There's no doubt it's been a Absolutely. lifesaver because yeah. it took out one piece of uncertainty, which is will I have any money? Can I pay the bills? Can yes. I pay the rent, the mortgage, all that sort of stuff? Took out that uncertainty. So your industry's fine, basically. You, you know, most of your team have kept their job and the same would be of your competitors and your clients and all that sort of stuff. We haven't shed staff here at Landcom. We've mm. pushed through. But plenty of places have and there'll be restaurants in town that won't reopen. And For sure. But it's been an extraordinary year for mental health in Australia in that we've had a massive increase, but I think we've dealt with, we've What's helped it? people through. Governments have yeah. thrown money at Lifeline. We've doubled our, all of our government funding um, almost within a month of this taking part. So governments have realised how important mental health mm. is as well. Well, I can echo your comments about people um, dealing with a little bit more openly now. Yes. It's certainly, it's certainly stigma, the case. It seems the, to the stigma's come. disappeared a bit. Mm. It, look, it's still around. Mm, it's, mm. it's not clear, but, you know, through, through our... You know, we've got about 400 people a day, one way or another, involved. There's now more free conversations yeah. about, hey, um, John doesn't look too well. I yeah. think he's struggling. Let's have a chat to him. Yeah. Even if it starts at that, it used to be sort of, oh, I don't know, yeah, that's that's right. a bit weird. We'll keep or let's take him in the pub and have a drink. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like that's the solution. Give, give him four beers and yeah, yeah. <laughs> drive home. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I suppose That'll it used to work. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but now it's more freely spoken oh, it about and it's being supported and we're trying to really actively yeah. work that up more I know more. you are. And uh, we, we and talk about, um, I mean, I, I have begun to say a lot of people, how's your mental health? Mm. Not just how's your health, but how's your mental health? Because... You know, part of the challenge with mental health is unless you're having an episode, you know, I can tell if you've broken your arm, Graham. I can tell if you've, you know, wounded your head, yep. Mike, mm -hmm. but I can't tell if you're mentally unwell. So and if I've got a I'm, broken arm, you'll help me carry my bag oh, for six weeks and I then will. say, mate, you're nearly right, get yeah, going yeah, again, yeah, I'll, right. I'll see you. Yeah. And, 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 you know, when it's non-visual with the mental yeah. health, it is a hard struggle for people but to you know, when, understand and support. When burly blokes in working in your industry talk about it, I think we've it's another great sign of how far we've yeah. come. We've got to treat it. That's the other thing. You can't mm. just think it's Talk a, yeah. about it. Yeah, and you've got to go and get the help you need. And that's more and more available than it used mm. to be. In the acute end, it, there still isn't enough. But in the the services for somebody who's maybe got a mild depression or maybe they've had a divorce or somebody in the family's died, mm. those services, are, I think, are more there time and again. But yeah, it's the, And I think they can get the maintenance they need, those people, to just yeah. keep them jogging and getting yeah. further forward. But, yeah, the acute end is still pretty tough for it's, now. Yeah, and, you know, there are some really, really challenging and hard mental illnesses out there like, you know, heavy, heavy bipolar and obviously schizophrenia and things like that. So I, I have I have de a mild depression and I have suicidal ideation, so I can manage my stuff pretty well, I think. Mm -hmm. But it's as I have to be very active in managing it. But, but the same would be if you've got diabetes, right? You know, you can't – you let that go – go and run itself, well, you're going to end up without a leg or in hospital, you know. Yeah, and, and one of the Ill. first things of people to sort of think, yeah, it's another illness. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's treat it. Exactly. Let's work with it. Yeah, yeah, that's and all it is. And if you don't, you're going to have a – All it is is another you, illness. You could, could well have the, the aberrations after yeah. that sort of thing. So um, what's, the, what's, the, what's the way that 
would you think the community can help Lifeline more and be aware of it? What you know, if you, we're talking to our people now. Yeah. What, what do you think of some things that they can be aware of? Certainly, you've, yeah. you've exposed as uh, talk about what's available as a service. How can we help? So we've just opened up a, a retail shop, a Lifeline op shop, as they used right. to be called, okay. opportunity shop, in um, Castle Hill. So right. it's our first one up in the northwest. So. Um, you can help us in a thousand ways. You can buy stuff or you can donate stuff at the local shop. That helps us to raise money to provide our services. You can um, you can volunteer for us on the phones. That's a that's a big commitment of training. Mm. Uh, and then it's a, a shift once a fortnight or once a week, depending on your availability. And we get a lot of people who start the training and don't make it through because, and I do this, right, we live on the northern beaches. Um, I'm not asking you to spend three hours on the Barbie at the kids' nippers, I'm asking you to pick up the phone and deal with people, many of whom are, are at the edge. So about 10 to 20 times a day, we will identify the person on the other end of the phone as at such a high risk of suicide that we keep talking to them and we can have the police and ambulance track them and go to where they are. Yes. So we keep talking to them. Mm. We're, we're, a, we're a very interventionist service yeah. in that. So you don't have to ask, we'll do it. Yeah. And if there's a firearm involved, the police will literally kick the door down. So that's happening 10 or 20 times a day. So you have to be prepared to get one of those calls on Lifeline. Um, you could volunteer at one of our shops or our book sure. fairs. And and I think also you can, you can use this in different ways. Obviously, you're in crisis or you're suicidal, please use us. But what I think people don't understand as much about us is if you're worried about someone and you don't know how to deal with it, please ring us. Okay. So we can oh, say to you, yeah. oh, look, you're so ringing us. say a family member's yeah. is, uh, you know. I'm really worried about somebody. Really worried you know, and you're not sure what's the direction correct. ahead. Who, who do I talk to? What do I do? Or what do I say to them, you yep. see? What how do I say I, to them? How do I broach the subject with them? How, how do they want? Exactly. And, and a lot of parents for a long time, and still probably the view around most parents is, if they're worried about talking about things like suicide with their teenage kids because they'll put the thought in their mind, nothing, strangely enough, nothing could be further from the truth. It's quite the reverse. You, If you ask that question directly, you'll draw it out of somebody. And it's, it's strangely enough, all of our research and all of the science shows that that's what, and all of our experience shows that that's what works. But, yeah, you might have, you know, a, a very gloomy, someone who's usually happy who's very gloomy all of a sudden or somebody's drinking too much all of a sudden or put on a massive amount of weight or lost a massive amount. You know, all of those, it tends to be extremes in people's behaviour. We all have bad weeks, you know. The I main Tigers haven't won a grand final for a long time. <laughs> um, but but Are they still in the comp? Oh, geez, that hurts. Uh, I was born in Balmain in 1969, the last year that Balmain Tigers won the grand final. Yes. Not conceived. Mum reckons there are a lot of people conceived after that game, <laughs> after that grand final. <laughs> who, who was your goal kicker in 69? Oh, was it Len Colleen or was it Golden Boots still? Oh, the old man will know. The old yeah, man yeah I know. can't remember. I just uh, remember a lot of those names. I, Len Colleen was a South African that came across. Oh, really? It might have been a bit later. So, so, so he's much older than you. Yeah, yeah, yeah much, older, much older. So um, you might have a bad week, right? You yeah, might, you know, yeah. But if you have and, – and, and there can be events in your life, you can lose your job. Terrible last week. I spoke to the police commissioner. There was a report you may have seen in the media about a police officer killing himself in the police centre in the city. And I spoke to the commissioner and he said he thought there was a marriage breakup around it. So some of us sail through these things. And, and of course, the other thing is some of us really appear like we've got our act together, mm. but it can be a real a little shift. And that's what's happened through COVID. People who usually keep it together and I, I were, many people usually keep together were really worried about whether they'd get COVID. They, in the early days, really worried they'd die. Effectively, they'd die or mum would die or dad would die or the kids would die. 
Um, and you saw very different behaviours from people who usually just brush brush yeah. across us off and keep going. Very so, stable people. Yeah, mm. yeah. So it just demonstrates to all of us that, you know, we're all human. We've, we're all vulnerable from time to time and we all need help. But, you know, what you guys are doing, just the awareness of it and talking about it and being active about it and the stuff you're doing on the mentally healthy workplace stuff mm. too, Graham and Mike, that all makes a difference, you know, because I'm convinced most mm. people – well, this John Brogdon's view, right? Not a scientific view. Most people have mental illness at home they bring to the office, if I can use that phrase. In other words, they don't get it at work. Some people do, some people bullying and stress and things. But in the workplace, you want that person to be well. It doesn't help you if they're unwell mentally in the workplace. No, no, if they no. had a broken arm, you'd send them home, right? Or you'd find light duties for them. Yep. So you guys are sending a message to your workforce that, no, no, don't hide about it, don't hide it, don't not talk about it, we want to help you through yeah. it. And not only is it good, the, good, the right thing to do, good for your heart, it's good for business. If you've got staff who are what they call present, it's called presenteeism, so you're in the yes. office or you're mm. on site but you're not there mentally, right? Yep. You're a thousand you're miles away. Checked out and yeah, thinking yeah. about Yeah, well, anything. you know, that's not that's no good to you business-wise. So just as you want all your staff physically healthy, you want yeah. them mentally healthy. Yeah. Well, well, look, I've been really um, – um, concerned about the amount of mental health issues in our workplace, but equally, or probably even more so, I've been very happy at how our teams have responded mm. and raised things mm. and said, "Look, so and so struggling. We need yeah. to talk to him. I don't think he want to talk to you. Be intimidated by you. Sure. Get someone else to talk to him. Yeah. Get him to sit down. Go and see him in the paddock. See him yeah. at home, and doing it in a way that's really good. So, you know, it's it's early days for us, John, but we're moving yeah. forward. Oh, but the and, doors you know, open, right? That's yeah, and we, we've just got to, you know encourage others to do the same yeah. sort of thing. And and as you said before, Graham, if that that person was limping around because they'd buggered their leg, you'd say go to the hospital. I'll drive you to hospital. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's um, it's really important that we, we, as you said before, it's just another illness. This one yeah. just happens to be in the head, right? Yeah. It's just yep. another it's, illness. It's about educating people to understand, yeah. to just have a conversation, look after them. Yeah. That yeah. other person, the same way as you said, yeah. they've hurt their leg. And the stigma is no getting getting less, mm. by which I mean things are getting better. But it's still there, right? It's still there. But it's changing enormously. Mm. And, you know, people who – I find when I talk around the place that people are much more interested in Lifeline than Landcom. I don't mean that negatively, but because the one thing that all brings us together is our health. And you'll often find the toughest business person in town – We'll talk to you about business and then say, listen, I've got a son, I've got a daughter, I've got a bit, you know, that's the conversation they really want to have. So it's quite interesting. We all have that. We all have that for sure. So um, one of the reflections I'll ask you guys if I think about is, um, and this is just genuine, how lucky are we to have uh, a guy like John to be chairman of Lifeline and to be CEO of Lancom, you know, and and you can hear he's genuinely concerned about people and social outcomes. And, you know, I know John well. This is fair dinkum. It's not John just on the, the microphone speaking. So, you know, when when our society has good leaders that are prepared to share for themselves and give, I think we'll all just continue to get in a better place. Oh, that's very so, nice of you. No, thanks, thank you. John. Well done. You're a good friend too. That doesn't matter at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so look, I, I think we might wind up at that, Mike. Mm-hmm. But certainly, you know, I'll close by saying thanks, John. And, and um, Can I just say one yeah, thing, Graham? Sure, which is, go for it. Once again, thank you you guys. We, we really enjoy our relationship and it's a long-standing one, as Absolutely. you know. Um, and we'll keep going into the future uh, as well. So thanks for all the work you guys do on site and we, we feel – you're part of the, as with other contractors, part of the bigger Landcom family. So thanks, and thanks for the quality work you give us. 
And the other thing is, um, just to everybody listening, Lifeline's always there 24 hours a day, seven days a week for people on 13, 11, 14, or you can go online to lifeline.org.au. But we are there and um, we're anonymous. Mm-hmm. We don't care what you've done. We're not going to judge you. We don't, we're not going to make a moral uh, choice about whether we should help you or not. We're there to help you for that period of time. We're anonymous and we're there 24 hours, seven days a week. So 13, 11, 14, always there for, for everybody. Thank you, John. Thanks, Mike. Anything else you want to cover? No, I think that's it. Great right. message. Thanks, John. All right. We'll see you all soon. See you. Thanks for listening into our podcast. If you like what you hear, hit subscribe or hit us up on LinkedIn. <laughs>